And welcome to week two of the Saluki Standards Podcast. I'm your host, Connor Onion. Thanks for joining us for week two, featuring Saluki volleyball coach Ed Allen as our guest this week. If you didn't get a chance... Listen to week one with Saluki Athletic Director Liz Jarnigan. She's the one that, that masterminded this Saluki Standards project. She has a, a lot of great things within that in-depth interview about her vision for the department. We're on YouTube, as a lot of people probably heard us on last week, but we're also on Spotify and iTunes now as of uh, about two days ago. That's in big part due to the work of Saluki Sports Information Director Will Beck and social media extraordinaire Michael Black. And uh, check us out on those two new platforms spotify and itunes and if you're feeling generous give us uh, five stars too all right the credentials for this week's guest at allen he's led three different division one schools to the ncaa tournament in volleyball multiple times presbyterian tulsa and alabama he both took he took uh, all three of those schools to the big dance multiple times before he got to siu and then already he's he's making a splash as the saluki head coach uh, 11 of his 16 players were injured at one point or another last season, and they still won nine more matches than the season before he got there, which was one of the best best uh, turnarounds in the NCAA. Uh, not only a lot of wisdom for the longtime volleyball coach, but also a very engaging and sometimes downright hilarious interview, as you'll hear uh, here in a moment. All right, time to hear for yourself, Saluki volleyball coach Ed Allen on week two of the Saluki Standards podcast. Coach Allen, you were you were handpicked hmm. by Liz Jarnigan. Asked her at the end of the first show, who should we have on? And, and your name was the first one. So what an honor that is. Well, I guess. I mean, we need somebody to blame for this. So it, it's great that we've got Liz to work with. <laughs> yeah. but no, it's uh, I'm glad to be here, Connor, and glad to... Uh, to, to be a part of this uh, special thing that's occurring here with Liz. You know, she uh, she had a big part, and, and she was a big part of me making a decision to be here. Coach Gill, you know, had another uh, big part of that. I was really excited about getting a chance to go to work for, one, an AD that I knew and had worked with, and two, an AD that, that uh, was also an ex-coach who, who gets it from a coaching perspective. Do you have a pretty good idea when she was at Tulsa that she would end up being an AD someday? Oh, yeah. I mean, Liz is, Liz is extremely sharp. And, you know, it's funny because when I was talking to her after I had uh, left Alabama and uh, uh, we talked about a lot of things, and, and uh, one of the things that I asked her in the process of deciding whether SIU was a place I wanted to be or, uh, you know, I said, you know, does it, does it bother you the shape of things? at SIU because this is clearly a transitional period right now and, right. and I think we're going to do a, an, an unbelievable job of coming through it but you know she made the perfect statement in that you know I think people look at things in two different ways you either look at the challenges and focus on the challenges or you look at those challenges and you and you realize what opportunities exist for personal growth uh, within that and and that's exactly what she said and when, it was a perfect answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. Let's let's get into her concept a little bit. Uh, her Saluki standards model with the the pyramid that she's rolled out and has kind of become the the front step of what she's trying to do here with the the progression that you're talking about. Integrity is at the bottom of that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think if you're going to be a leader in anything, right, you have to be somebody that that people can trust, you know, and and they trust that what you say you're going to follow through with, and uh, and I think that's that's extremely important. I don't care if you're in coaching or business or whatever that is. If you want to have success over a long period of time, then integrity has got to be a piece of all of that. They've got to, people have to be able to trust you. Recruits have to be able to trust 
that that you're going to do exactly what you say their parents have to trust that you're going to create a framework that that you talked about in recruiting and that you're going to follow through with that and if you don't you are you're, you're going to pay for it over time you might get away with it today but you're not going to get away with it next week right in your your first year you inherited some players you brought in some players that that you guys and, and your staff have recruited specifically how do you build trust instantaneously while you know also trying to incorporate what people are used to yeah i mean i think it's i think it's tough you know when you're when you're talking about building the toughest thing you deal with is that transitional period where you're trying to upgrade talent, you're trying to bring in players that fit the scheme that you're looking for and, and also the kind of people that you're looking for within your program. And you got to make that transition. And I think how do you do that is that you're straightforward and honest with the people that you have. And you, we go back to integrity. You know, you, you tell people what you expect and you hold them to those standards and they know exactly what they can expect from you. And I think, uh, you know, when I talk with my team, you know, about two weeks ago and just said, hey, what's different from a year ago? And uh, and one of my players said immediately, trust. We trust each other, you know. And and I think that's, I mean, it's important. I think it's important in a lot of occupations. But you take a sport like volleyball, you put six people in a 30 by 30 area. And if trust doesn't exist, it doesn't flow at all. And uh, if you don't have the ability to communicate with one another in an efficient way and feel what the other person around you is going to be able to do because i think that's the you know i think every sport has a challenge i think the biggest challenge we have is six people in a 30 by 30 area and how do you have them function together yeah it's a it's a beautiful thing when it oh. works oh yes you you, you kind of created a, a natural transition to uh, accountability which is one of the sub words under integrity and in, in liz's vision how do you get people to listen to you well, I think, first of all, what you're saying better have some importance and you better know what you're talking about, number one, because they'll see through that very quickly. And then I think trying to explain the why more than ever. You know, I think in my 30 years of coaching, we used to be able to say, hey, this is what we're going to do. And there wasn't really it wasn't necessary to talk about the why a whole lot. Now, I think it's really important to help connect the dots for them to understand that what you're asking of them is to help them become better and to help us become better. How do you do that individually? Because everybody's so different, everybody's going to have a different why, right? Oh, yeah. I think you have to know who your players are. I mean, you have to spend time with them not only in practice but out of practice. And then I think getting to know who they are, how they're going to respond. I mean, when you look at – I've got 11 players on my roster this spring, and uh, – I don't treat any one of those 11 exactly the same way. We talk to each one of them, I guess you would say, in a personalized manner that we know that, is, that they're going to be responsive to. And, uh, but I think when you go back, to the, you know, go back to the first one that we talked about, which is integrity, once they realize that you're a person of integrity, they're going to listen. Is, is that something you have to go out of your way to show, or is it just something that, that usually happens naturally within you know a first meeting or a second meeting with somebody? Well, I mean, I think it's demonstrated through words initially, and then you know actions then speak loudly. And I think over time they get a, a sense of that. You know, you take you take my kids when I came in here a year ago. Uh, at this time, I'm not sure they had a, a good handle on who I am. But a year later, they know exactly who I am, what to expect, and things are comfortable. Uh, they walk into a gym, and they're not trying to figure all those other pieces out. Now they can focus on the things that are really important to them getting better individually as volleyball players. You know, the biggest thing that you try to do, whether it's integrity or, or any other character trait that you look at, 
is you want to get them to move on beyond focusing on that. They want to know that you have that so we can we can finally learn how to jump and attack and serve and, and all the volleyball-related skills that are important to, to be effective. Sure. One of the things that, that really struck me in some of our early conversations or sitting in on some of your practices was your creative messaging. You're able to find creative ways to sometimes – say the same things yeah uh, where do you get some of your creative inspiration as a leader well i mean i think you know 30 years of coaching right and and just paying attention to everybody I mean, right now you know brian's doing an unbelievable job in men's basketball has had a terrific turnaround i mean i walk out of this gym and generally they're practicing because i'm in here at five o'clock starting my day off and you know i may be walking out of here about four o'clock and they're in the middle of practicing I might stand there for 15 minutes and watch practice. I might sit down there and watch it. And so to answer your question, I mean, I steal it off of anybody that I possibly can. I don't care if it's books, watching practices, talking to coaches. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm probably one of the best thieves as it comes to <laughs> trying to come up with creative ways to send messages, to motivate people, uh, to stay motivated myself. And I, I think that, you know, that's one of the things uh, when you're in coaching for a period of time, not only do you have to worry about motivating athletes, but you got to now motivate yourself because you've been doing this for 30 years. Right. How do you hold yourself accountable? I think getting up every day and, and realizing that what you expect of your athletes, you better be willing to commit to yourself and even more. Uh, and it should be easier because, you know, this is something that I'm extremely passionate about. Most of my athletes are passionate about what they're doing, but not to the same degree that a coach is because it's what we do for a living. It's one of a couple of things they do right now and then most of them will never do it again once they graduate college sure you mentioned books that that you like to steal things from books what's the best leadership book that you've ever read oh gosh uh, you know leading with the heart is a is a really good one i think that's Shashevsky's book uh the winner within which is a pat riley book is a really good book um you know i like a couple of the older books that vince lombardi you know had written about him as well and you know, I tend to be more of an old school coach. I was, you know, I've been around a while, but I was also probably an old school coach when I first started out in coaching because that's what I experienced more. That's the, I think the role models that you look up to uh, came from that era. And then I think you just understand the older you get, you really embrace this even more. The value of what hard work is and how that makes you feel, regardless of accomplishments, just the personal satisfaction from working hard at something. I'm sure that there are a lot of people that come to you now, now that you've been coaching for a while, for advice. But who's somebody that, to this day, you still go to to seek out advice when, when you need a helpful hand on something? Well, I mean, I think, you know, you know Dave Shondell somebody I grew up with and, and started coaching with. And, and really the entire Shondell family, you know, they're kind of like the godfathers of volleyball. They've been around yep. and are connected so well. And so that makes it easy. Being in the coaching profession for as long as I had, I've had a lot of great coaches that I've competed against that I have tremendous relationships with. And, and to be able to have 10-minute conversations with them, uh, are, are huge. I think coaches within every league that I've been in, you know, I, I think there's, I don't think there's a coach that I don't have something to learn from. Sure. And, and so I'm sitting here trying to figure out in every conversation that I have, what can I get from this conversation that's going to help me be a more effective leader and a better, a better coach for my team. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, let's move on to, to the second tier now, toughness. What comes to your mind when you hear that word? Oh, I mean, I think that just, you know, failure is not an option, right? You just get up every day and you realize that, you know, you may not get what you want today, but it doesn't hinder your ability to keep pursuing that and getting up the next day with that same passion. You know, I think, uh, you know, toughness is in a lot of cases really 
tied together with enthusiasm. You know, oh. I think you've got to be enthusiastic to be a tough person as well. Because, you know, I think what was it Winston Churchill said that success is the ability to sustain enthusiasm from failure to failure. And uh, I think there's a lot to be said for that. I think it's easier uh, to be tough when you're pursuing something that you're passionate about, you know. And so, you know, if my if my kids have gone to school and they've done a great job of studying something that they have a passion about, when they go to work and it's a tough day, it's easier to go to work the next day because you're passionate about what you do. But if you're not passionate about what you do and you have a tough day, it may have you thinking about quitting yeah. tomorrow. It's double as hard. You know, it is. Sure. You know, and you don't realize how blessed you are uh, to be able to do something in your life that you really enjoy doing. And so it's easier to be tough. But I think being tough is just the ability to deal with setbacks and not spend a minute thinking about what you lost in all of that. You know, I think one of the things that I love military i love i love organizations that function together at a very high level you know and if you look at special forces when those guys when you talk about toughness they deal with setbacks and they don't spend two seconds thinking about what just happened to them they're thinking about what's the next move and uh and so i think toughness has a lot to do with also training your mind to focus on what's important for this exact moment i want to double back to your thought on enthusiasm think back to some of the other stops in your career what was a moment where your enthusiasm might have been tested oh gosh you know i mean i think it's tested every time you lose for sure (laughs) but i mean i think uh you know we've dealt with a transition here in the athletic world probably in the last 10 years where uh there's a stronger voice that that student athletes have and they should have a voice in what's going on but i think Sometimes if you're not careful, that voice can get way too loud and it can be way too selfish in what goes on. And I think that's the I think that's probably the toughest challenge. And I think it's a challenge that all of us that have been coaching for a long period of time is that, you know, we change over over time as coaches. Athletes change over time. And it's important that you're going to continue to work at trying to change at the same rate that your student athletes are, or you're going to find yourself in trouble. Was your enthusiasm still the same as it was when you were at Anderson? Oh gosh. Yeah. I mean, I just, I love to compete, you know, and, and, uh, I love being around young people. I love being around a group of people that, uh, trust each other are willing to work hard for one another. The, the, the feeling and the power you get from that is unlike anything that I experience anywhere. And I think when I talk with you know, student athletes who have played with me over time. That's one thing that they express almost in, in every conversation is that they miss being a part of a team uh, and what that feeling is like. Yeah, no doubt. Who's somebody in your life that embodies toughness? Oh, I mean, probably my, probably my wife and my, and my father-in-law. And, and they're not the kind of tough people that you sit here and go. I mean, they're not yellers, screamers or anything else. But, you know, both those people, I think you could put them in the most difficult of situations. And they have the most positive attitude towards what is going on and what is going to be accomplished as, as any people that I've ever been around. And, uh, you know, it's, it's funny cause we think, you know, we think tough is, is something that's this big, hard thing. And, you know, quite frankly, sometimes it's like a piece of rubber, right? It's just tough enough that it just responds to what is it's running over or anything else. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I think those are two, two of the toughest people that I've ever been around in my life. How much do they push you? Um, Consciously, I mean, maybe subconsciously they're pushing you to be tougher, but how much consciously are they, uh, you know, helping you when things are hard to, to be tougher? Oh, God, my wife is, I mean, my wife has everything to do with the career that I've had. Uh, 
mean, she's the one every time I've gone to a new school and built that just goes, now, come on now, you can do this, come on. And, and she's the one that sees things much clearer than I do. And it's, it's easier to do, I think, when you're on the outside. Uh, but she sees situations that way. She sees the current situation and future situations uh, that way. And so she's, a, she's probably the best coach I've ever had. <laughs> You've got three sons, too, Drake, Peyton, Nolan. What's the toughest part about being a, a coach and a father at the same time? Um, I think, you know, when, when they were growing up, you know, you arrive home and you're pretty spent emotionally, physically, in every way, and you still got to be dad, you know. And uh, and they've done a they've done a great job of being able to to handle that part of things, understanding uh, you know what it's like to have a father who's a coach that uh, does have a high degree of expectation. It's uh, it's not easy because I'm obsessive compulsive <laughs> as a person, <laughs> and so you can imagine how their bedrooms need to look and everything else, right? So. Uh, but the nice thing now is, you know, my boys are, I don't know, 29, 27 and 22. And so I'm, I'm more of a friend than I am a, a father to them. And I'm enjoying that as much as anything. You know, I was down at BW3s two weeks ago eating wings with with two of them setting one on each side of me. And I thought, man, it doesn't get any better than this. No, no. Do you uh, or did they at one point feel like you were a coach more than a father? They probably still do. You do know, they? I mean, my kids all the time go, why do you feel the need to coach everyone you come into contact with because you know i might go to mcdonald's and if the service was great i let them know that and if i think there are things that need to improve i let them know that right and uh and so they do get a kick out of the fact that i don't think there's anyone exempt from me coaching them in this world I'll keep that in mind. You can you can coach me up on on my questions after the podcast. Let's move to the top of the the concept now. It's championships, and yeah. of course that's the ultimate goal. Um, I, I know this will maybe uh, embarrass you a little bit, but I'm going to read off your credentials: six NCAA tournaments, nine conference titles, and you're uh, you're getting close to 700 career wins here. Uh, what what's the common theme to you in in all those wins, in all those championships and NCAA tournaments you've been a part of? Well, I mean, I think the common the common thing is you've got good people around you, good good players around you, and 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 I'm not talking about volleyball players. I mean, you got good people around you in, yeah. in those in those players' roles. You've got you've got great assistant coaches and support staff, and uh, you know, I think more than anything else, uh, as a young coach, I felt like a lot of what I accomplished had everything to do with me, and I think uh, over the last five years, ten years. I've realized that it has a lot less to do with me and a lot to do with all of the people around me, as I alluded to with my wife and, and other people. And, and so I think more than anything else, it, it goes to show you that uh, I've been very good about picking good people to surround myself with. And, uh, and you know, I think as a, as a coach, uh, you're going to get exactly what you accept. And so if the standard is this and you're not willing to compromise that, then, then water will seek its level, so to speak. Right. You've said multiple times since you've been here that that you're uh, very passionate about building, and and sometimes you're enjoying yourself the most when you're building. Kind of reminded me of the Beatles. They were the yeah. most happy when they were creating. Yeah. Uh, why is it that you're so passionate about the building aspect? I mean, of- I guess I'm a glutton for suffering more than anything else, <laughs> but I think, you know, I, I just like taking things that just don't look very good and turning them into something that everybody wants a piece of. And, uh, I mean, I think the, the, the value of, I mean, I think more than ever in my life, I've embraced the concept of wanting to make the world a better place. Well, 
uh, it doesn't get any better than taking something that's not very good and turning it into something that that has a chance to be special. And uh, I mean, I just there, there's everybody's programmed differently. Uh, the things that satisfy their their desires, their spirit, so to speak, is different. I, I'm a person that just likes likes to be productive, and I I don't know how you could be more productive than taking something that's not very good and and trying to turn it into a championship team. A championship would be the ceiling for a lot of teams, but how do you break through the ceiling of a championship and go beyond that once you win one? Yeah, that's the toughest thing. I, I, I was talking to my team about this, you know, the, I don't know, a month or so ago. And, uh, you know, everybody thinks that the, the difficult thing is in winning a championship. And that's not nearly as difficult as trying to continue to win championships because it's kind of like going to the restaurant and sitting down and getting full. And you realize you got what you were looking for. Now, if you can, if you can realize that that was just one meal and you're going to need a couple more yet today, then, then I think you can be productive. But when you sit here and think that's all I need for the rest of my life, and, and there are players that think that way. You know, I mean, it's it's difficult not to think that way. You've you've set a goal. You've worked hard for it. You've achieved it. Now, can you be hungry enough to want to go get it again? Right. And uh, and some can, and some can. I mean, I think the. The difficult thing and what I try to look for in a recruiting process of things is, you know, when you say toughness, you know, are you willing to achieve something, close it out and start again and, and begin that process again? And and most people can't be tough enough to do that mm-hmm. um, without somebody. Of course, that's what they pay me to be able to do is to tell my athletes to help my athletes do things that they really like to do on days in which they don't like to do them right you know and i think when you when you sit here and you think about that and then that makes it easier for you when i walked into the gym today mondays are a tough day it's 6 a.m they've been up at five it's now six they've had two days in which they got to be normal they had to they got to sleep normal hours everything else and now here it is it's 5 a.m it's a monday and we've got to begin again and i walk in and i make a gauge of my team and i go hmm they're having a tough time getting going so as a coach you begin to modify what you're doing practice-wise to now take 10 minutes and get them as engaged as you want to be before we begin the process of trying to get better as players. Right. Once you finally reach that mountaintop, uh, outside of the team concept with with you as a coach and and trying to keep that edge and build a championship on top of another championship, uh, how do you set aside some of the pride that you probably felt from winning the championship and go after it again yourself? Well, I think as much as anything as I like to win, and I really like to win a lot, and and I understand what goes into winning, and I understand what it takes to win. And, I mean, my wife has, has gotten on me several times about this in my career. Could you take just a little time to enjoy what has just happened, right? And you're just constantly moving on to the next thing, and I think I've gotten better at that in my career, uh, it's probably going to be less than perfect as far as she's concerned in, until I'm done. But, uh, you know, I just I try not to focus. I mean, when you sit here and you think about enjoying what has just happened, the thing that, that scares me the most about that is I just don't want to spend a whole lot of time there because it has nothing to do with me being able to win tomorrow. And so the ability to be able to focus on the things that are going to be productive for me tomorrow and, you know, in, in being at it a while, you realize that what you did today has has zero bearing on your abilities tomorrow. So what are you going to do about all of that? And I think, you know, that's the thing that you have to constantly be working with uh, with athletes on and and, uh, 
and, and trying to help them gain a picture. You want them to enjoy what they have experienced, but not live in it again. Right. You know, it would be easy to get tunnel vision. I'm sure in your profession and it happens a lot where you're grinding, you're grinding, yeah. you're recruiting or you're coaching or you're doing something to make your program better. Do you find some fun within that away from the game? And have you found that that has helped you build toward championships? Oh, I think definitely getting time away. I mean, we get we get two chunks of time, one in, in December till early January and one in May that that's exactly what needs to go on. And, you know, I love to fish and I love to spend time alone out on the lake in that way. And and that does a lot to help me get going again as we approach the summer and, and, and a new season and and all of that. But I think, you know, just the ability to – you know, I think more than anything else, I, I focus less on the actual getting to 25 points and spent more time on trying to build players and people. And when you do that, you get to 25 points. Right. You know, you just you get smart enough to understand that, you know, if I do a great job of building this person, we're going to win. Well, and uh, I, I know some of that time away usually involves some movies. I know you're a big movie buff, right? Oh, I like to watch the movies. That's for sure. I, I, <laughs> I've I, heard you quote semi-pro more than more than anybody in my life. Well, I know it was on this past weekend again, and I can't help <laughs> of course, myself. You of know, course, rolled, you know it's on. I mean, I rolled through there and I had to stop. And you know, Jackie's passing out corn dogs or uh, trying to find a way <laughs> not to pass out corn dogs. Fighting right? a bear. Oh, fighting a bear. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about wrestling a bear maybe and. Uh, bring it to Davies, Jim. Bring a bring a bear into Davies, and we can wrestle that bear before the match. <laughs> we'll get uh, we'll get marketing on that. <laughs> I think we can get that done. You know, I, I don't think I could do that anymore. I think we'd be about done with the volleyball coach as soon as that happened. No, no, I think you'd get a raise. I think what we ought to do is have the sports media people have a have a go at it. You can tag team it. You that know? Uh, that break between set one or set two and set three needs to be yeah. a little bit longer. I'm telling you, you can put Will out there and Will might he would win. Uh, Will Will might might get the, the bear to quit before we ever start. <laughs> yeah, I I think Will would win. Um final question for you. Who do you think we should have on this podcast in the future? Well shoot. I mean, if you can get Brian on here right now, he's he's smoking hot right now. You gotta figure out what that guy's doing. I matter of fact I wish he knew a little bit more about volleyball because I just have him come in and run my practice for a couple weeks. <laughs> Yeah, his assistants could handle it, right? Yeah, yeah. My goodness, just yeah, take a break. Yeah. So Brian Mullins, that's your nomination. I think my nomination is Brian. Okay. Yeah. What's yeah. uh what's one A or one B? Well, I think uh probably the next one uh on that list probably ought to be well, he's just finishing the season. You got a new coach in swimming, you might as well get him in here and figure yeah. out exactly how you get in the water effectively. <laughs> I don't know how to do that. So. I don't either. I mean, if you've watched me dive in, you know, when I get out and do water sports and you go, man, thank God he's got a life vest on. I was gonna say you wear a life vest when you you go fishing? It it you know, I, I don't, but it I, it'd probably be a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll try to get uh, Coach Hansen or Coach Mullins. I'm guessing Coach Mullins I don't know, thirty minutes might be a lot. In season. I think what you do is you just you, you tape record that thing. You go to his house. You ride into work with him. And there you go. Ooh, a ride along. You know, do a ride. I think that right. Matter of fact, it shouldn't be just a pad, podcast. It's got to be a ride along with Brian Mullins. That was a thing at one point. It was going to be a thing. And then it, it kind of got nixed. Oh, so we'll see. We, we can bring it. I mean, now that now that Ed Allen's on. Oh, board. I, I mean, I think so. Matter of fact, won't you come to my house? I usually leave about four forty-five, and we'll do our ride in on the way to practice in the morning. 
I think it'd be a great thing for you. You're trying to get me out of bed at 4 a.m., aren't you? <laughs> That's the thing. You'll be getting out of bed. I got to drive all the way out there, so I got to be yeah. up an hour earlier. Uh, but all right, thanks, Coach. Thanks so much for doing this. It yeah, thank fun. you, Connor.